Hello and welcome to Android Bytes, powered by Esper. I'm David Ruddock, and each week I'm joined by my co-host, Michelle Rahman, as we dive deep into the world of Android. This week, we're talking about something that I think everyone on Android has had some kind of frustrating experience with, which is how third-party applications, be they Snapchat, Instagram, um, or any other application that has to use your camera on your device to capture content, how does that interact with the operating system? How does it interact with your device? And what are the challenges associated with that? And we have a guest today who is really experienced in working with the Android camera APIs. And uh, Michelle, I'll allow you to introduce him. Thanks, David. So on today's episode, we've invited Mohit. He's part of the Graphene OS project. If you recall, we talked about this project on a previous episode of the show and where we invited one of the developers on the actual operating system. But today we're talking about the Android camera API. So we wanted to invite an expert who has worked with Android camera API. So that's why I invited Mohit, who's part of the development of the camera application on Graphene OS. So Mohit, can you just give us a brief introduction? Just tell us what is the application that you work on at Graphene OS? Hi, everyone. So basically, I've been working on the secure camera app at Graphene OS over the last few months. Currently, this application is being used in production by Graphene OS for all those devices, which is a replacement to the default AOSP camera app. Apart from that, you can always find the application on the Play Store, which so we support Android devices starting off from Android 10. Yeah, thank you, Mohit. So he's working on a camera application. And of course, in order to develop a camera application, that supports multiple devices, you need access to the Android camera APIs. But as David mentioned at the beginning of this show, for those of you who are using Snapchat, Instagram, you're wondering like, how do they work and why do they not take nearly as good photos as their stock camera app counterparts? It's a really tricky and complicated question to answer. And if you look on the iOS side of things, that's not true. Snapchat, Instagram, you'll take pretty much nearly identical photos if you use the stock iOS camera app as you do with those social media apps. But on Android, you'll get very different results depending on the phone. Why? The issue, of course, stems from the big F word, the one we always bring up on pretty much every episode, on like every newsletter, it's fragmentation. But how exactly does fragmentation affect things? There's two aspects. There's camera hardware fragmentation and there's camera software fragmentation. First of all, hardware fragmentation. This is like the reason why everything is the way it is and why camera software fragmentation stems from that. This one's kind of easy to imagine. Hardware is fragmented because whereas on iOS, you have one manufacturer, you have Apple, who makes a handful of phones and they control the software stack from top to bottom. And there's only a handful of image sensors to consider. On the other hand, Android, you have thousands of different device models from dozens of different brands each running their own operating system fork of AOSP with different silicon from MediaTek, Qualcomm, et cetera. And thus they have their own image signal processor implementations. And then they also source image sensors from different vendors like Samsung and Sony. So you have all these different combinations of hardware and software to consider in the Android world. So if you're an app developer looking to implement, to create a camera app that supports all these different combinations of devices, you're going to have a bad time because there's so many different quirks and different capabilities of devices that it's, it's a staggering mess to consider. So Mohit, I wanted to ask you, just taking a step back and looking at the overall picture, do you think it was inevitable that 
the Android camera implementations, like the situation would have become a mess. Was there anything that Google could have done or maybe mandated in the early days of Android so we wouldn't get to this point? So before we speak about how we could have solved this problem back then and diving deeper into this discussion, it is important for us to understand what the problem really is. Uh, the messy Android camera implementations that are often found in apps that directly use the Camera 1 or the Camera 2 API, targeting a wide range of Android devices, are mainly attributed to the OS or vendors not correctly implementing the standard APIs with the hardware that the device relies on. This in turn leads to other apps somehow working around those unexpected issues from time to time. While trying to solve this may sound as simple and bad as shotgun debugging, or analyzing what could have possibly gone wrong, since having access to device-specific code isn't always feasible, it isn't actually the case. It's much worse than that. Workarounds that work for a specific device may or may not work for another, or could even worse, cause existing support for another device to break. This leads to having an entire mapping of device-specific implementations just for a single functionality, even for a simple camera app, that's expected to work across a wide range of Android devices. Now try imagining this for every possible camera functionality and more importantly, your code and project that was meant to fulfill a different set of requirements, but is now busy heavily investing resources working around device-specific bugs. All these issues could have greatly been resolved if Google or the OHA back then had stricter compatibility test suites and compatibility definition document requirements that CTS and CDD requirements would have been developed, promoted, and well enforced instead of the current scenario where the vendors don't really need to get their devices CTS or CDD compliant certified before releasing their device into the market. The scope of the CTS could have been expanded further. More requirements that are described as recommendations could be made mandatory while enforcing the passing of those CTS, CDS documents for vendors. Apart from that, they could have also designed better camera APIs from the beginning that are not needlessly complex for both the app developers and the camera driver or hardware abstraction layer implementations to handle, thereby making the overall process for writing compliant code much easier. So I guess I, I have a question here and it's kind of philosophical. If Google is more strict about this and had a much more rigorous CTS process around camera API compatibility and features, how much do we think this would reduce the amount of innovation that has happened in handsets because they've been able to do things that break Android's camera framework essentially because they won't work with third-party apps the right way, but they will work with the vendor's camera application where they've developed this very special functionality, whatever it is, super zoom or some kind of special portrait mode or lighting filters even can be stuck behind that wall now. So I guess that's my question. You know, if Google is more strict, would we see fewer features, camera features on phones? For that, like we could separate those implementations and like, for example, for the basic functionalities that other applications are expected to use, we could have hard and separate implementation for them. And in order to add those additional features, such as the filters that we see on modern phones, we could have separated them into a different implementation that could have been interfaced on top of the existing basic implementations. And for the 
initial basic implementations we could have ensured that all the test cases passed and we could have as i just said before we could span the cts further and more requirements that are described as recommendation in the docs could be made mandatory while enforcing the passing of the cts or cdd for the vendors that who, uh, who want to release their devices into the market so i have a kind of different take on this question that you asked david so like would innovation be hampered by enforcing camera compatibility with third-party applications? And I think because of the way things work right now, I think the answer would be yes. Right now, like th there are ways that OEMs could implement feature parity between what their stock camera has access to and what third-party camera apps have access to. Of course, as Moeith mentioned, the APIs themselves, they're a little frustrating to use and they're a little difficult to use. And Google has made strides over the years to improve them. But there are APIs, like they, they could expose a lot of the functionality they offer in their stock camera app. But why don't they? The question then, like, what would imposing a CTS requirement actually do? And I think that would just significantly delay the launch of many devices. The way the Android market works right now is like, if, if you're in like a, a Xiaomi or a Samsung competing in Southeast Asia, right? You don't have time to focus on making sure your latest mid-range phone the camera app, your stock camera app, and third-party camera apps have access to the same functionality, right? You got to get that phone from concept to design to testing to launch within like maybe a year or less for some of these like mass market phones. And if you're doing that with a whole range of, you know, budget, mid-range, and sometimes high-end phones, you just don't have time and resources to invest in making sure all of the innovative features that you want to market on your phone, on your stock applications, will work the same on third-party camera apps because there's just so many different considerations to implement. Like, why bother doing that? Another solution for the same could be like Google or the Open Handset Alliance could have probably created a set of, designed a set of standard classes and tied up with certain hardware camera companies and probably given out the code for each of those standard classes in the AOSP source code itself. So that would even ensure quick delivery of the devices in the market as well as we could have a fallback class for all the other Android vendors that wish to have their own well-researched implementations and we could over there then see the CTA CDD thing in a much more stricter way over there so like tracking those issues might would be much easier than having the mess we currently are in so like that's just an out-of-box solution like I haven't really worked with hardware and all so like there's an abstract solution over here that is a good point that you brought up, though. Google should, I, mean, I think that would be the most effective solution, bypassing working with OEMs and working directly with the ISP designers and working with the image sensor vendors. Because OEMs, they have multiple different models, but the ISP and the image sensor vendors, they're distributing just a few specific products and they're writing the drivers. So if Google could get them to standardize the way their drivers interact with Linux and Android, then that would go, that would do wonders for how all that propagates through the market. But there are some complications to consider. First of all, is there even enough of a desire from consumers for OEMs to actually like bring feature parity between stock camera apps and third-party camera apps? We, did, we have seen, you know, some marketing from Samsung and Google, you know, the partnerships with Snapchat and Instagram and whatnot. So there is clearly some potential there because if they're not going to be marketing these features if they think people don't care about that. Are they even legally allowed to expose some of the features that they offer in their stock camera app? There are a lot of vendors behind the scenes whose tech aren't smartphones that you've never heard of. 
there are some facial recognition vendors who provide their software implementations to smartphones. We don't know the exact terms of their agreements, but maybe their terms say that you're only allowed to use this in your camera app. And we don't want our technology being used in by any arbitrary third party app because we don't have a licensing fee from them. So like what would happen in that situation? Would the OEM even be allowed to license? Maybe their beauty mode derived from some third party tech? Maybe, maybe not. So that could be one of the reasons why, you know, these features aren't being across the board exposed to third-party apps. So Mahit, I kind of wanted to ask you, there are ways for OEMs to expose features to third-party apps through camera APIs, but there are also a lot of features that aren't even possible, that they can't be exposed to third-party apps simply because the Android camera APIs don't provide a way to expose those features. So what, what are some examples of, of features that say you can't implement in secure camera app because there's just not an API for it? So the secure camera app that we've developed at Graphene OS has mainly focused on providing the most simple features to the users initially. So we, for the timing, have, don't have any search feature in mind that cannot be implemented, but we are currently sticking to only using the camera X library to ensure that uh, like we don't end up spending too much time on dealing with the device-specific quirks. So in my experience, there are not really many examples of such cases in general, like the camera APIs that Android provides, while being complex, are highly extensible in nature and hence implementing any valid feature with some additional code or library or support library isn't impossible as such. But of course, there could be other limitations that could be based on the scope of the project or maybe how practical is it to implement a certain feature in terms of its maintenance, or maybe the hardware limitations that could probably make it impractical to have a certain feature on quite a lot of devices that the project targets. So like mainly depends on the how the developers and perceive the problem and like what the scope of the project is and how much time and efforts they are willing to give for it. And of course, there can be hardware limitations apart from that. Right. So can you just give me some examples of features that you can't implement because of API limitations. So like portrait mode, is that something you can implement? Beauty mode, is that something you could implement, et cetera? What are some features that you can't because of, you know, lack of support in the API? So like one of the straightforward examples for that could be the vendor extensions that the Camera X library provides, which aren't available for most of the device in the market, which mainly include the portrait mode and the night mode. Could that include augmented reality features, for example? Yeah, like we could do that. But as far as I know, like the Android camera APIs don't support anything related to augmented reality, but we could surely use some external library for the same. Yeah, that's a good one, David. Pixel camera used to have a AR stickers, I think they were called, in the camera app directly integrated. And there was just no way, like that wasn't exposed at all to third-party apps via an API. Like, of course, there's a separate AR core API that's part of Google Play services, but the actual AR sticker feature in the Google camera app, they're just, it wasn't exposed to third-party apps as far as I'm aware. So speaking of the camera API, we've kind of talked about the hardware side, device fragmentation side. Now I wanted to actually talk about the API itself. And I think that's probably the most interesting part, the thing people are actually wanting to hear about. Clearly they've evolved over the years, right? Mohit mentioned we had camera one. Now we have camera two, and I'm sure people have also heard of the camera HAL three. So like, what do these numbers mean? And we'll get to that in a bit, but I wanted to talk briefly about the evolution of the camera API and how they work. It's only recently that the 
camera APIs have become not a nightmare to use. As Moe mentioned, the secure camera app uses the camera X API, which is part of the reason why camera app development has become simpler. But in the past, most camera app makers had to use the framework camera and they were kind of a nightmare to implement from what I've heard reading on uh, developer forums. And people speculate the reason Snapchat for many years used to just take a screenshot of the viewfinder instead of actually using the camera API directly to take a photo is because they'd rather deal with using a, a low quality screenshot of the viewfinder than to actually implement the API on every device they wanted to support, which remember this is Snapchat. So that's like millions, tens of millions of users on multiple different devices. Then rather infamously, a few years ago, Moment, who sells camera hardware accessories, and they also make an app for iOS called Pro Camera, they actually tried to port their Pro Camera app to Android. But after two years, they just gave up. They just said, we quit. And they gave a reason to 95 Google. They said that the reason we quit is because of fragmentation. They had this chart that showed, here are all the features we support on pixels, on Samsung devices. And like, there's a, it's like a whole bunch of green, whole bunch of yellow, whole bunch of reds. It's just so inconsistent with what they had to support. And there's so many different models. It just became not really feasible to support without investing significant hours. So why is this such a nightmare? Like what exactly led Moment to quit? So let's talk about the Android camera architecture a bit. So at the low level, you have the drivers for the actual camera slash image sensor on the device. Those are written image sensor vendors, i.e. Samsung's and Sony's. Those are distributed to OEMs for integration into their builds. And then next in the pipeline, all the raw Bayer data from those image sensors are processed by the image signal processor that's part of the SOC inside the device. And of course, that image signal processor is developed by another company, Qualcomm, MediaTek, or Samsung. That ISP does processing of its own on the raw Bayer output from the image sensors. That doesn't happen if, you know, you're taking a raw photo, of course, but that's another topic entirely. It's a feature that's not supported on every device. So you have the drivers that are closed source and provided by the image uh, sensor vendors. And then you have the ISP architecture implementation that's written by the silicon vendor. Both of those are black boxes pretty much to camera apps. Like you have no insight into exactly what capabilities they have or their data sheets. You can instead only rely on what capabilities they expose to the framework, which is determined by the hardware abstraction layers that are written by the OEM slash the vendors. So apps on the Android side, they interact with the camera hardware using the camera two API, which is the framework API that interacts with the underlying camera service in Android, which then interacts with the camera hardware abstraction layers, hardware abstraction layers, for those who don't know, they define the standard interface between the higher level Android framework and the lower level camera driver. And as I mentioned, that implementation is what defines what capabilities are exposed to apps. So there are multiple camera HAL interfaces that OEMs have to implement. There's a camera provider HAL and there's a camera device HAL. But the problem is that OEMs aren't required to implement a recent version of each HAL, nor are they required to implement every capability introduced with each HAL version. So as Mohit mentioned, Google could update the CDD and the CTS to test for more recent versions of these HALs and see if OEMs have actually implemented them and defined certain capabilities, but they don't. Right now, in order to pass certification, if you launch a device with Android 10 or later, you only have to implement camera device HAL version 3.2 or later. HAL 
was actually introduced all the way back with Android 5.0 Lollipop. Even Android 13 still has backward compatibility with HAL 3.2, even though the latest HAL is 3.8, which added support for a really basic feature, the flashlight brightness control. So as you can see, a lot of features are being added along the way, some even quite basic, but because there's no specific requirement to implement specific, it's all going to depend on the OEM and the silicon vendor, like what exactly are they willing to implement and expose to third-party camera apps? Michelle, you know, before we drop into the next part, the reason this exists is basically the Google requirements freeze, right? Because Google is help letting the phone vendors lag behind essentially by up to what, like three years effectively or more, or is this a different situation? That's actually something that's going to make this situation even worse because in the past, the hardware abstraction layers could be updated. They were basically required to be updated whenever a vendor like Qualcomm would have to update their implementation to support a newer Android version. But with GRF, as you mentioned, say a device launches with Android 11, then whatever hardware abstraction layers that device ship with will never be updated until that device reaches, wants to update to Android 15, because Google's guaranteeing backward compatibility with vendor implementations that are three letter versions behind. So a device running Android 11 to Android 12, Android 13, Android 14, and keep the same hardware abstraction layers and the kernel interface that was introduced with Android 11. For example, the camera HAL 3.8, which introduces support for flashlight brightness control device that launches with Android 12 is not going to have 3.8 because that version wasn't even introduced until now, until this release. So a device upgrading to Android 13 probably won't even get support for this basic flashlight brightness control feature because vendors aren't going to go back and, and update how So yeah, it's uh it's, it's a mess because there's no real requirement on what OEM are required to expose and actually implement in their house. But of course, Google chugs along. They keep updating the underlying hardware abstraction layer interface. They keep defining new capabilities in each HAL version. For example, with camera device HAL 3.5, they introduced the ability for OEMs to define zoom ratio, which actually provides support for optical camera zoom capabilities to third-party cameras. Then, of course, as I mentioned, 3.8 introduced a flashlight brightness control. And then also in Android 11 with 3.5, they introduced the ability for OEMs to expose bokeh support so like they have to define these certain constants in their hardware abstraction layer to expose optical camera zoom capabilities and bokeh it's basically up to the goodwill and the willingness of the oem and the vendor they provided the house from in order to implement these features so i wanted to ask you now mohit if you're aware of any way your work has been affected by the HAL versions and implementations across different devices like are you able to access certain features that are supported by Android technically, but because the device doesn't have the right HAL version, you know, you can't actually use it in secure camera. So the secure camera app that we're working on, Graphene OS, at least for most of the time, hasn't directly relied on the hardware abstraction layers or the camera one or the camera two API. The main reason why we push for such a design is the device specific issues that we would otherwise have to spend a lot of our time to deal with that could unexpectedly blow up as more non-camera supported features accumulate and as our app gets used by more kinds of devices, which is quite closely related to the fragmentation issue that we were discussing earlier on this podcast. This valuable time could be spent by our contributors on other places that require more help and attention on Graphene OS. 
However, we did recently make a few exceptions to this rule by supporting an AIS toggle that relies on the camera to interrupt API and introducing experimental support for ZSL that has not been supported by a lot of devices for the time being. So coming back to the question, no, like we haven't really faced any issues or troubles while dealing with different versions of HAL, primarily because we haven't really dealt with them in the core of a secure camera application. Yeah, at least with Project Treble's introduction and the vendor test requirements surrounding HAL releases, you can be assured that at least the main rear-facing and front-facing camera will be operable on any given device. So, for example, if you were to take a device that supports Project Treble, such as the Lenovo Tab K10, and you were to flash a generic system image of Android 11, 12, or 13 onto it, very, very likely you could just open the AOSP camera app and the rear-facing camera and the front-facing camera would work. And the reason is because that's something that Android actually mandates testing for. Part of the vendor test requirements is that the camera has to be, at least the main rear-facing and the front-facing have to be operable. But of course, nothing else is guaranteed. You're not guaranteed to have the image processing models and the add-on camera features that the stock camera app has. Most devices, or at least most smartphones these days, have multiple rear cameras. If you try to use those on a GSI, you probably won't be able to actually access the secondary cameras. Android actually does provide support for third-party camera apps to use those cameras, but the issue is that it's through an API that Google introduced in Android 9 called the multi-camera API. So what OEMs have to do is they have to define logical camera devices, logical being like they're not physical. These logical cameras are composed of two or more physical cameras that point in the same direction. So for example, you can have a main camera and a telephoto camera, and you can create a logical camera that is composed of the main and the telephoto. And the benefit of doing that is that for the third-party camera app, they see it as one camera and you can change between the two basically seamlessly. So if you're like zooming out from 1x to 5x, the underlying camera HAL would basically handle the switching between the lenses seamlessly. The app itself wouldn't have to manually detect, oh, I'm supposed to change lenses here. The logical camera interface would define that change. The only problem, of course, is this is yet another thing that OEMs don't have to implement. Google has tried to make support for multi-camera implementation mandatory, but they actually reneged because that conflicts with GRF, which is something David mentioned earlier. They wanted to make it mandatory for all Android 12 launch devices to support multiple cameras. They wanted to make it so that if a device ships with one or more rear cameras on the back, the OEM has to define at least one logical camera for those rear cameras. But the problem is that because devices can launch with Android 12, but running Android 11 vendor software because of GRF, Google can't mandate that because that would make those devices not capable of supporting this feature and thus not capable of launching with Android 12. So uh, Mohit, I wanted to ask you a bit about your thoughts on the multi-camera support on Android. What are your general thoughts on Android support for exposing multiple cameras and actually using them in apps? Do you think a requirement for OEMs to support the API would actually make a difference? The multiple cameras that we often find on modern Android phones for the most of the time have had separate IDs assigned to each of them such that we could choose a camera by their vendor specified IDs. A while ago, Android came up with some support for a multi-camera API 
that can be used to merge multiple cameras into a single logical camera instance having its own ID that is often used to enhance the zoom levels provided by a single logical camera. Although the API again can be certainly used for several other purposes, zooming is just one of them. For the secure camera application, yes, it does make a difference in the range of zooming levels that we provide to our users. The multi-camera zoom is expected to be implemented by the vendor in our case. So like, for example, we have come across many instances, especially in case of non-pixel devices, where the device did have the hardware required to enhance the zoom range, such as the ultra-wide lens to support zooming out a bit further. But the devices themselves didn't support zooming below the default 1x, mainly because the vendors didn't actually implement them for their own reasons. Such as there was a case where the device actually predated the feature itself, so the vendor themselves could not, no longer roll out updates since they no longer supported that device. So now having a generic solution by maintaining a database of physical camera IDs for like all the all such devices on our end wouldn't really be feasible and perhaps it isn't even a viable solution for the Camarex team as there's a possibility that these IDs may just change in between updates which could again drastically increase the complexity and overall efforts required for maintaining this entire workaround. Hence, like according to us, it might be better to mandate multi-camera zoom in the test suite for all new upcoming devices that otherwise have the hardware to support it. Okay. So yeah, you just mentioned something I actually wanted to talk about a little bit next. It's about the camera IDs and how actually apps are actually supposed to be able to control the camera hardware using the API. So I've already mentioned the camera two API, which is the actual framework API that enables enumerating, i.e. listing the camera devices that are available on the device or that are exposed to Android. That API also lets apps connect to those devices, configure the outputs, send capture requests, and then read resulting metadata and image data. So this API, it's uh, a little difficult to use because there's a lot of legwork, a lot of preparation work that apps have to do before they can actually start doing capture requests. First of all, since OEMs have to actually expose the capabilities for each individual camera to the camera too, apps then actually have to probe what features are supported by this specific camera device on this ID. If you've ever used one of those camera two API probing apps before, you've probably gotten like a high level summary of what they support. You see strings that say limited or level three, those strings basically tell you, okay, this specific camera supports this list of features, but then it's up to the actual camera app to decide, okay, because this specific sensor supports this feature, this is what I'll enable inside the app for when the user is using it. Whenever you're trying to use a app that uses the Camera 2 API on a specific device, you may notice different features than are what are available on other devices used by other users. So Mohit, I'm sure you've at least heard or seen bad reviews or complaints from users who report a feature or two is missing from their device. They blame you or, you know, the Graphene OS Project Secure Camera developers when in fact it's because the OEM didn't expose the feature when writing their interface for the camera too. So how do you deal with this? Like what exactly can you do about this? So while most of the features that our app provides are available across all Android devices that we support, there are a few features that we only support when the OEM implements and exposes them for other apps to use. 
just as discussed earlier we have recently very often heard of complaints regarding our app not supporting zooming beyond the default range despite the device physically having support for it on a lot of non pixel devices apart from that the major complaint that we have received is regarding the support for vendor specific extensions or modes that the user thinks are missing while they actually need to be either exposed or or and implemented by the vendor themselves for our app to show up those modes on a given device based on where the issue is reported we inform the user about it and explain them why does a camera app not support the given set of features on the device and either try to look for some timeline for the same that is if it's easily available or request the user to inquire regarding the same with their respective vendors if by any chance it is something that the camera x team needs to fix on their end or is related to pixel devices not implementing something correctly we report it to the camera x team and discuss how the issue needs to be resolved or could be further addressed they are quite friendly and supportive so reporting issues to the camera x team has never been an hassle we've actually at least mentioned camera x a lot but we've never actually explained what it is for those of you who don't know camera x is something that google introduced back in io of 2019 and the secure camera app that mohit works on actually uses camera x it's one of the few apps that i'm aware of that proudly states that it uses the camera x api i wanted to ask you mohit This is a very basic question about CameraX, just so our readers, our listeners, can understand what exactly it does. What benefits does CameraX offer over Camera Two, and like, why does the secure camera use it? So essentially, CameraX is a better designed, simpler, higher level API, which is backwards compatible with the Camera One API. But it also, as well, takes advantage of the Camera Two and the advanced Camera Two features whenever they're available. So essentially. this ensures that the camera features that you develop are of high quality work across a wide range of devices while allowing quick and steady development of your application thanks to the use case based modeling of the classes that and the high level simplicity that the library has to offer apart from that it has a very high quality and highly performant camera software stack that's far better than the vast majority of the camera applications that are currently available as one short example in the recent experimental zsl support that they recently added to the library they included a ring buffer and some pre processing which was mainly to improve the overall performance of that feature and hence the quality of the zsl feature that they provide zsl basically essentially stands for zero shutter lag which can be used under latency mode to take faster shots from your camera application apart from that the overall code quality of the implementation of the camera features tends to improve a lot while using the camera x library in terms of readability which in turn drastically reduces the overall maintenance cost the reason being that camera x works around a lot of device specific quirks impacting a specific or a certain range of devices so which in turn it it makes the code a lot more readable so that way uh, while making any changes or perhaps trying to add any custom implementation over it gets a lot more easier apart from that one can always expect good support from the camera x team for the device specific issues that the users face with the officially supported camera x features so basically this in turn has also encouraged us to investigate such issues and bug reports further and report them to the camera x team which could potentially help us help a lot of organizations for years to come 
while using the camera rx library one can always fall back to using the camera to apis using the camera to interop api which offers classes that are compatible with the main classes that the camera x library itself offers so but however one must note that um, the support is limited to an extent that is not all features of opera the camera to apis can be accessed via camera x thank you mohit for the rundown of camera x versus camera 2 so for those of you who listened to our previous episode on modern android app development we talked a bit about jetpack support libraries and how they simplify app development well camera x is actually one of the support libraries that's under jetpack and like the other libraries, you know, it simplifies developing across specific Android OS versions because Camera 2 is an API that's updated with the OS itself. So, of course, there's going to be OS-specific API uh, methods. There's going to be different behaviors depending on the OS version and the way the code is written, what each method accepts and uses. So, like, it's there and it's updated with each OS version. And it's a little complicated to use. So what CameraX does is simplifies all that by wrapping around it and basically just letting developers not worry about the underlying implementation in the OS and just use CameraX. But under the hood, CameraX just passes those calls to Camera2 and simplifies that interface for app developers. CameraX, of course, because it's a newer API and it's actually just wrapping what's available in Camera 2, it's not fully interoperable with all the features that are available with Camera 2. As Moit mentioned, that's why CameraX offers the Camera 2 interop API, which lets some apps use Camera 2 APIs when there's not a CameraX equivalent. But of course, that has some of its own limitations. And then one of the other things that uh, we've been talking about a bit, or Moise mentioned several times, are vendor extensions. So that's actually something that was introduced alongside Camera X, actually a little bit later in Camera X's uh, life cycle that came about. So vendor extensions, for those of you who don't know, basically it's a library that OEMs create that exposes specific features to third-party apps. So for example, an OEM can write a Camera X vendor extension for HDR, face retouch, and night mode. And that would allow apps that are using the Camera X API to actually use those OEM-provided effects in their own apps. So like if an OEM has its own HDR implementation, a third-party app could see that this device has a vendor extension for HDR, and then they could use that in their own camera app. I wanted to ask you, Mohit, the Secure Camera app uses vendor extensions. Can you tell us about the implementation in the Secure Camera app? Like what vendor extensions do you use if they're available? And what are some of the challenges with vendor extensions as they are right now? Secure Camera currently supports all the five standard vendor extensions that the CameraX library has described in its talks. However, the availability of these vendor-specific extensions, such as Bokeh, HDR, Face Retouch, and Night Sight, depends upon whether the vendor or OEM of the device decides to expose them to other apps by the standards defined by the official documentation of the CameraX library. Currently, from what we have known from our community of active users, not a lot of devices support CameraX's vendor-specific extensions. All pixels, the devices that we mainly target at the time of this recording, don't support any CameraX extension. Although in a recent Pixel feature drop, support for Night Sight was added to Pixel 6 as in Camera 2 extension, which is unfortunately different from Camera X extensions. Very few flagship Samsung devices support all the Camera X vendor-specific extensions. 
However, in one of the events that was recently conducted under Google I/O 2022, Google said that they'll be launching their new extensions through Camera X versus Camera Two, where they'll be providing their own fully software extensions for when entry-level devices that don't have them yet, starting from the Bokeh Portrait extension mode. We're quite optimistic about it, as this could help us giving a more consistent experience for our application across all the supported devices, including our Play Store users. And honestly, if this gets implemented as expected, it might surely be worth the long wait of Camera X extensions finally arriving for Pixel devices. Honestly, when I first heard about vendor extensions in Camera X, I believe back when I was at XDA, our developer author. Zachary wrote an article about vendor extensions, and there was a lot of hype around them. Maybe this will finally solve the feature parity issue between stock camera apps and third-party camera apps. And as the more I've learned, this it seems you know, like there's been major issues with the implementation. As you brought up, even Google's own Pixel phones don't support Camera X vendor extensions, which is hugely disappointing because they're the ones who are pushing developers like use Camera X, use Camera X. Well, they don't even support it properly for their own devices. So it's a huge disappointment. And then with the pixel feature drop, as you brought up, that enabled Night Sight in Snapchat. But the way they did that is they released a Camera 2 vendor extension rather than a vendor extension through Camera X. And you'd think they'd be the same thing, right? If there's a vendor extension, there's a vendor extension, but it's not. Only apps that implement the Camera 2 vendor extension API, which is something that's only introduced in Android 12, can use it. Whereas Camera X's vendor extension is available across more Android versions and is something that more apps are expected to support. But then Google goes ahead and does a Camera 2 extension instead of Camera X, which they've been pushing on app developers. So it's kind of like a, it, it's a it's a really weird situation where we're in, where one side of Google is telling developers, use Camera X, but the other side is like, uh, yeah, we'll continue to support Camera 2. And here's our flagship Pixel phone with an extension that's only available through this API we're telling you not to use. But fortunately, at least Google I.O., that was a pretty significant announcement, as you brought up, that Google itself will start providing some software vendor extensions for low-end devices, starting with like a bokeh portrait mode. So all low-end devices will have a vendor extension for portrait mode that apps using Camera X can hook into. It remains to be seen if they're able to extend that to the other extensions that are possible, including like night mode. But um, I'm not really sure if Google plans to expose its brilliant night sight feature to all low-end devices that aren't its own. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, and I think that it's a, it's a question of the economics of a feature. And so Bokeh in portrait mode, for example, is basically democratized. Um, even very low-end MediaTek chipsets, I'm sure at this point, have in the camera stack support for some kind of portrait mode. So it's no longer one of those features that you would want to lock to a high-end device and not giving people access to that, especially in a consistent way, is probably worse for the platform than just coming up with a standard implementation that works for everybody. And Google can keep adding value on their Pixel phones by introducing things like iOS's portrait lighting style mode, which is much more advanced and uses a lot more algorithms to get the output. So, I mean, a lot more algorithms. I sound real smart when I say that, uh, but you, you understand what I mean. So these initial extensions are probably a good sign of what Google thinks is most important to largest number of camera users, portrait mode, obviously being a big one. 
And I think that over time, yeah, we'll, we will almost certainly see more of these features. They used to be gated to the high-end devices, probably just start to become a standard smartphone feature, like having dual cameras. All of this stuff sort of democratizes over time, right? Yeah, and Moeb said that he was optimistic about the feature of Camera X, and honestly, I can I can understand why. They have been slow to implement some basic features, like version 1.1 of the library is what brought video capture support, and I think that just came out earlier this year in Stable. And then one of the features that they've been working on in AOSP is support for ZSL or zero shutter lag. Moeb mentioned that as well. So, like, these are features that you've already had access to with camera two, but they're not in camera X yet. And then Android 13, for example, introduces HDR video capture support in camera two, but I don't think there's a, there's an equivalent API through camera X. But if you're looking to implement a very basic app that uses some very basic camera capture functionality, it's easier than ever thanks to camera X and other libraries. So for example, if you wanted to do QR code scanning or barcode scanning, Google Play services has a drop-in solution for that. But there are also, you know, open source solutions that you could implement with Camera X. The ability for app developers to add camera functionality into their applications is easier than ever. And it's not like the realm of professional camera app developers anymore. And with that, this is where we do our Esper plug. Because if you've been listening this entire episode, you've understandably come to appreciate just how complex the situation is with cameras on Android and how the OS interacts with the camera and how applications then interact with the operating system, which interacts with the camera. Do you want to build for camera X? Do you want to just keep building for camera two? Do you even need direct access to the camera to accomplish what you're doing? It depends. And if you find yourself in a situation where you're trying to build a device that needs to do something like Michelle said, capture a QR code or scan a barcode or recognize a face. Those are obviously very different scenarios. The camera needs to be able to do different things to accomplish those tasks. So if you're wondering, okay, is the camera on this device going to be suitable for my work purpose, whatever it is, I'm capturing faces or barcodes or taking pictures of cats. I don't really know what you're doing with the camera, but if there's something specific and you're wondering, okay, is there an expert out there who can tell me what can I actually do with this camera? And is it extensible? Is it scalable? Can I do this with a bunch of different cameras running Android? Come talk to us at Esper. This is the kind of thing we deal with regularly. Differences in implementations across vendors and hardware and software. That is our bread and butter. And understanding how to make that experience consistent for you and your devices is what Esper is all about. So if you want to learn more about Esper, check us out at esper.io. Thanks, David. And with that, I wanted to give Mohit a brief chance to tell us about where people can follow him as well. So Mohit, tell us about where people can follow your work. So you all could follow me at my official GitHub page. So it's github.com slash mhety, which is mhshetty. Or you could follow me on LinkedIn as well. As a student at Thadomal Shani Engineering College, you all could follow me there as well. So that's where I'm mainly active. And if people want to follow, if people want to try out your work, they can go to the Google Play Store and download the Secure Camera app, or they can try installing Graphene OS on a compatible device if you have one. Go listen to our previous episode with the Graphene OS developer, Gabe, if you want to learn more about the project. And uh, thank you for listening. <laughs>